Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name is Joe Goddard. Thank you so, so much for listening. Today's a bit of a bonus episode. It's one that isn't from our webinar schedule. It's in fact a lecture that I gave to some students studying their uh, BA in Marketing Communications at the University of East London the other other day. I tangled on whether or not to publish this, but I figured there's probably quite a lot of people in the Marketing Meetup audience who are at the beginning of their career and may well find this useful. The topic is all about the things that I wish I'd known about marketing eight years ago. It's a presentation on five things that I think really changed my marketing world, made me a better marketer. I think for those, particularly at the beginning of those career, or even those just looking to go back over the fundamentals, I think it will be really, really useful, um, albeit being presented by me. So I've got the natural imposter syndrome all about it. Nonetheless, I really hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, I've just listened back to it and it's remarkable how steady my voice is. I hope it doesn't send you to sleep, Uh, but hopefully I think it's a good episode. So uh, enjoy the episode all about the things I wish I'd known about marketing eight years ago. Have a lovely, lovely day. The next voice you'll hear will be mine. Cheers. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joe Glover. I am 29 and three quarters years old. Uh, that is me with my wife, my daughter, and our dog, Eric, who is a Labradoodle and bloody massive. Uh, I'm super happy to be here today. Uh, one quick caveat before I get going today. Uh, our boiler has broken in my house, uh, so there may come a time if I get a knock on the door uh, partway through the presentation where I just need to let the guy in. Uh, if that's the case, uh, we'll take a quick break, uh, just so you know, um, but hopefully that won't happen. I want to start off today with a story, and this story starts about five years ago where I was a solo marketer working in a small company. I knew that I wanted to meet other marketers and learn about marketing, but frankly, the thought of going to a networking event, which would be the obvious answer to do both of those things, terrified me. And it's not just because I'm an introvert, it's because of those tortoise shell formations that people form at networking events. If you've ever been to one, they sort of stand in these circles and you kind of got to break yourself in to be able to introduce yourself. There was also the thing that once I actually did sum up the courage to sort of walk up to folks and say, hey, I'm Joe. Then so often people would just care about my budget or my job title and very rarely about my humanity. It was enough to terrify me. It was enough to make me not want to go. I think my record for attending networking events uh, way back when was about four and a half minutes. And this was for an event that I traveled specifically from Cambridge down to London to attend. In those four and a half minutes, I spent about 30 seconds getting into the venue. The next 30 seconds were spent surveying the scene, seeing those circles that people were standing in. The next three minutes, well, they were, they were spent hiding in the toilet. And the next 30 seconds were spent bolting from the venue and going home on the two hour train back home. It was rubbish. And for all these reasons, and I guess why I'm stood here speaking to you today, then that's why the marketing meetup was formed. The marketing meetup is a place where people can come together to learn about marketing, connect in a meaningful way, not just about job job titles or budgets, but about human beings and do it all with kindness. And that kindness element is something that's really, really important to me and hopefully will come through throughout the duration of this presentation. 
Today, the marketing meetup is a community of some 27,000 engaged, positively lovely marketers across the world. We have a thousand signups each week to each of our webinars and of which you're very, very welcome to attend. Um, they're free to attend every Tuesday morning at eight o'clock. We get some of the world's best speakers. There's over 3000 people in our Facebook group. Again, you're very welcome to join. So over 200 testimonials on our site of people saying how lovely the marketing research community is and how it's helped them. Uh, and it takes the form of different things. So pre-COVID, we were about 140 events in person per year across 13 locations in the UK, including London. Uh, and we just started in New York. That's where this picture is from. Uh, but then we've also got a bunch of online stuff, which you can access for free right now. Um, and, and, and as I say, literally some of the greatest marketers in the world speaking about their thing for an hour. It's a no brainer. You really, really should take the time just to take a, a, the opportunity to digest it. I really, really love it. Um, but throughout the duration, then the most important thing about the Marketer Meetup is that it has been built with love too. Today, I consider myself one of the most lucky men in the world, um, and I'm very, very lucky for it. But also going back in time, then my career in marketing extends beyond the Marketer Meetup. My first job was as uh, was during the time I founded the Marketing Meetup was in a three-person company where I was running conferences. I was the marketing manager there, although I was the only marketing person in the business. And that's something you'll find in a lot of smaller businesses if you go into them in the marketing role is that you're probably going to be the only marketeer in the business. In this case, it was business of software. I spent a lot of time in Ireland and, and a lot of time in Boston in the United States running uh, business, uh, running conferences there with some amazing, amazing speakers. I then left business of software and then went into an agency uh, of which I'll speak about a little bit later called Genie Goals. Um, during that time, I worked with clients like Calvin Klein, Carl Lagerfeld, Hackett London, uh, Le Chameau, and uh, I also did some stuff with Saatchi and Saatchi, which was pretty amazing. All this means that I just bloody love marketing. I think it's wicked and I really, really hope that uh, you do too and that you're inspired by it but if you're not then that's kind of one of my missions for today but today is not about me it's about you so when I was thinking about what I was hoping you would get out of today's talk then I thought about two things so my objectives for today the first is to get you really really excited about marketing and a career in marketing and then the second is to let you know just a little bit more about what it's like in the real world of heading out into a marketing role so 40 slides in, let me present you with my title slide. Five things I wish I'd known about a career in marketing eight years ago that I think could be really useful for you today. And we're gonna go through five things, as I say. First is definitions, the second is tactics, thirdly career routes and knowing yourself, fourth is all about learning, and then fifth is about getting yourself out there. I hope that sounds great. <laughs> so let's go. Number one, definitions. So when I left university, I, I went to Durham um, and I got a call from a recruiter. Uh, the recruiter said to me, uh, you will be on 100, 100 grand after five years if you take this job, which was as an IT consultant. That means to say that I took the job entirely on the basis of the money. I thought that was how uh, success was judged uh, as a human being, but also as a business person. The reality of that that job was that I was spending 14 hour days uh, working in a in a in a office building um, and in Slough, 
which is every bit about as, as good as The Office makes it out to be. It was horrible. It was boring. It wasn't me. I was doing it entirely for the money. And so very, very quickly, after about six months, I made the decision to leave. During my time as an IT consultant, however, I was still blogging about something I loved, and that was social media. Um, this rather ostentatious uh, headline was something that I was putting out into the world at the time. <clears throat> and I did get some rather negative feedback on it as well, because I didn't really know much about anything. However, when I work, walked into my first marketing role, then I kind of had this anticipation that when I walked into the room, then people would be like, hey, that's Joe Glover. Look at that work that he's done. Isn't that flipping amazing? I can tell that that's Joe Glover's work right off the bat. That's incredible. And that's because I thought I knew what marketing was. I thought that I could walk in and just smash it straight off the bat. And so someone gave me a job. They said, come on in and do your marketing thing. But the reality was that for the first three years of my marketing career, I was an incredibly mediocre marketer. I wasn't hitting my targets. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have any structure. My wheels were turning. I was doing random things, but none of them really seemed to be working. It was all a little bit confusing. And for me, the thing that I think I lacked right up the front was that I didn't really have a working definition of what marketing actually is. It's not just the CIM definition of what marketing is, which is here, you know, marketing is the management process responsible for identifying, anticipating and satisfying customer requirements profitably. I really can't, I really struggle to say that aloud. Marketing for me, when defined in a more sort of relatable human way, is marketing is meeting the needs of the customer. That was a real light bulb moment for me. When I got that definition donated to me by my boss at the agency, all of a sudden things started to make a little bit more sense. And that's for these two reasons, uh, these two words here, needs and customer. Because when you think about that, then actually what you're thinking about is solving a pain or a challenge for a human being. Boom. That was massive for me. Because all of a sudden, this thing was grounded. It wasn't just a series of activities that I was doing. I had an attitude all of a sudden that I want to be really, really, really helping the people that our company serves. The one question I needed to answer on a daily basis is what can we do to improve the customer's life? Marketing became a lens to look through uh, the world of business and say that any touch point that marketing uh, touch, uh, that, that a company touches the customer with is a form of marketing whether that is your social media activity, whether that's your website, whether that's how you uh, speak in your emails, whether it's how your support team uh, engages with your customers. Every one of those are examples of marketing. And if you're not doing those things with a marketing mindset, then you're just doing it for yourself and not for the benefit of other people. That definition got me excited. So I really, really hope that it gets you excited too, because the thought lived in the service of, to live a life in the service of other people and actually match a, 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 a problem with a solution and communicate it efficiently. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty mega. It led me to this place, and this is a very informal, very incomplete and very incorrect equation for marketing, but it probably sort of helps just frame some of my thinking which is that generally speaking, you've got a pain or desire of a human being 
you add your solution in and you communicate how your solution will solve their pain or desire and then all of a sudden you've got a problem solved you've got a happy customer you start making sales things just start making sense fundamentally this is a really really important thing because what you'll find is a lot of organizations when you step out into the real world are very interested in themselves and not so interested in other people actually the thing that they start saying is stuff like we have an exciting new announcement nobody cares if you've got an exciting new announcement what they care about is if you're going to help benefit their lives statements like here is something that will benefit you is so much more powerful than we have an exciting new uh, exciting new announcement marketing is all about helping the customer it's all about being about somebody else and not you number two diagnosis strategy and the tactics trend really really important so as i say my gateway drug into marketing was social media <laughs> i don't even know why i put this slide in but it looks good um but what i oh I realized why I did. Uh, but what I realized is that once I actually started working, that marketing is so much more, as already established. There's this guy, uh, someone who I really recommend that you follow. Uh, he's called Mark Ritson. He's based over in Australia. However, a lot of his marketing advice um, is uh, based um, in the UK. He writes a regular common uh, column for Marketing Week. Again, something else worth checking out. Um, Every week, Mark will write an article, and every week they land with impact in the industry. They're things that people speak about on the regular. If you're following his work, you're already one step ahead of a lot of people who aren't. Mark also runs something called the Mini MBA, which is a course that I really recommend. I've literally just finished it myself eight years into my career, and it's taught me a whole bunch. Uh, I'd really, really recommend checking it out. Mark's uh, theory for marketing and and what marketing is is actually broken down into three stages diagnosis strategy and tactics when i heard this this was another moment where my world kind of blew up just a little bit these three stages represent uh the totality of, of what you can do as a marketing person um, but it's so much more than just the communications element marketing becomes far broader at the diagnosis stage, you're spending a lot of time just understanding the market that you're, you're operating in, segmenting the market uh, to find the significant groups of people that you can market to at some point. It's not about your, your company, it's about the customer. Once again, really reinforcing the point from the first uh, note, it's all about the customer. So at the diagnosis stage, you're really looking to understand who they are, what makes them tick, um, what the industry scene is, and it's not about you. At the strategy stage, you take the learnings that you've made at the diagnosis stage and you start to choose what to do with the research that you've done. You choose a segment that you're going to target with. You're going to choose your positioning, the, the idea that you want to build in the brain of the, that customer uh, that you've, that you've uh, taken the time to get in touch with. And you, you decide at this stage to build some consistency into all of your activities that really start to come to the fore when you start doing the tactics. Now, the tactics is the bit that everyone thinks marketing is. It's the marketing communications element, but actually it's actually such a small part of what we actually do. At the tactics stage, we're looking at the four Ps, which is surprising. When I, when I was in university and someone told me about the four Ps, I thought it was really academic. 
but actually it's really useful. Um, here, you know, you, you start looking at things like your product, your price, your positioning, your, uh, your distribution, um, and, and you'll, be, you'll be actually getting the word out of how you are solving the needs of your customers. That's the bit that everyone thinks marketing is. Examples of good tactics would be stuff like social media, your website, email marketing. It's the bit that actually where the rubber meets the road. But actually, unless you've done the diagnosis and strategy work first, then tactics are just the series of things where you're doing and you get busy being busy for no reason. Ideally, at each of these three stages, you're supposed to be spending 33% of your time, which means to say that uh, you'll be doing a strategic exercise uh, once a year um, and, and spending a decent amount of time building out a decent strategy. Same for diagnosis. You're actually looking to understand your customers on the regular. Then at the tactics stage, you're spending a lot of time actually sort of getting the word out about what, you, what you've decided at the diagnosis and the strategy stages. It's all sequential. What you can see here is there is a bunch of things associated with each of those stages. So at the diagnosis stage, you've got things like research, strategies, segmentation, targeting, positioning, and objectives, tactics, is product price, communications, and distribution. Each of these things are done sequentially, which means to say that unless you've taken the time to understand the market and then segment, do the STP off the back of it and set some decent objectives, then there's no point starting with the tactics. Everyone starts with the tactics and they're doing it wrong. Start with diagnosis, go to your strategy, then your tactics. It makes your life so much easier. On this slide, I just wanted to point out as well that marketing, of course, has so many different skill sets associated with it. There's research, stat statistics, having a business sense, psychology, copywriting, communications, uh, production, advertising, social media. All of these things are relevant and you can choose to go on a general level and be good at a lot of them. Or you can choose to narrow in on one specific element and become really, really good at that too. The choice is yours. You can go into each of these things and become the best pricing person in the world if you wanted to. In the same way as you can become the best social media person in the world. So long as you've got a, an idea of what the broader landscape looks like for, for marketers in general. Just to really drive home the point, when everyone speaks about TikTok or um, Facebook or, or Twitter or email marketing or whatever it is, it's actually only 8.25% of the entire marketing mix, which means to say, don't get over-focused on the tactics. Think about diagnosis, think about strategy, and then think about tactics. It's such a small part of the entire marketing thing that really you need to be spending an awful lot of time taking a whole lot more of a holistic view on what marketing is. But there is a reality check, which is when you go into a lot of organizations and particularly smaller organizations, then a lot of them will tell you to quote unquote, go and do some marketing because they don't really have an understanding of what marketing is either. They'll tell you to do stuff like do X tweets per day because that seems like something that seems like a good idea. But it's also those statements are as ridiculous as telling someone to go and go and do finance. What's that even mean? It just doesn't make any sense. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is prove the value of marketing beyond just tactics. Think about diagnosis, think about strategy, then think about tactics. As a bonus here, a model that is really useful for, for um, once you've 
started to understand your strategy and your diagnosis and a way to organize your tactics uh, is coming up. And it's important because once you start doing your tactics, then it starts becoming really easy to get busy being, it, it becomes really easy to be uh, busy being busy, just doing stuff for the sake of it without any sort of grounding in it. You'll end up with things like this, with your social media, pay-per-click uh, advertising, your print advertising, your copywriting, all scattergun. So another moment that changed my world was introduction to the marketing lifecycle. The marketing lifecycle is a way to organize your tactics in a way which makes sense to them, that gives them purpose. It's broken down into five stages. You've got the awareness, consideration, slash preference, purchase, retention, and advocacy stages. At the awareness stage, someone is becoming aware that you exist in the first instance. At the consideration stage, they're starting to understand whether you will be the person that they choose to use. At the purchase stage, it's all about making uh, the buying process as easy as possible. At the retention stage, um, you're looking to keep your own customers rather than sort of having to find new ones all the time. And that's a really important point, by the way, because it's far cheaper to sell to a customer who is already a customer than it is to try and get new customers all the time. I think it's about eight times cheaper, in fact. So don't forget retention. And then advocacy. At the advocacy stage, you're looking to build word of mouth and asking people to tell their friends. Word of mouth is the most effective form of marketing there is. You only need to look at your friends, your social groups, and your parents or whatever to know that a recommendation from the people you trust goes so much further than a random ad. Don't forget about advocacy. A lot of marketing models will sort of stop at the purchase stage. These two stages of retention and advocacy are just as, if not more important, than the rest of them. And this is what a life cycle looks like. Here you will see that there's a series of tactics that are plotted across each of the channel, uh, each of the respective stages. This is really important. So all of a sudden you start getting purpose assigned to each of your channels. This starts to mean that you can actually start doing activity with reason, with purpose. And all of a sudden you can start having some really great conversations in the business. What I would suggest at each of these stages as well. So as you can see, the awareness stage here, we've got something called PR. Um, it may well be that you start making metrics off the back of each of these things, representing each of the different stages. So for example, an awareness stage goal might be something like the amount of eyeballs that have seen your content, uh, the amount of clicks to your site. But at the consideration stage, uh, a, a different metric to sort of judge success by might be how many people have joined your email list or how many people have downloaded a coupon code or something like that. Each of these different stages are going to have different metrics and measures of success associated with them. So it's really, really important that you give your activity some, some, uh, some purpose, which means that you know why you're doing what you're doing and how you're going to judge success by it. Fundamentally, that will just make everyone in your team super happy. Number three, knowing yourself and the possible career routes in marketing. So this was me some seven years ago, uh, graduating uh, way back when. I did a business degree. Um, and the thing that was interesting for me is that the only reference point I really had for what business was really like in the real world was The Apprentice, that show where people come in, they do some tasks, they undercut each other, they shout over each other, it's all about money. Uh, every one of them is there for themselves. 
I thought that when you entered business, you had to lie, cheat and steal to get to the top. I saw this video um, only a couple of days ago and it really resonated with me. Um, and given the stage of where you are in your sort of journeys, then I thought it'd be important to share it with you too. So uh, this is Jimmy Carr speaking about him leaving his job and taking up a new one. I didn't leave my job to be rich and famous on TV. I left my job for, uh, yeah, yo-ho-ho, a pirate's life for me. We're doing comedy, I'm doing a gig above a pub. Someone gave me 20 pounds cash in hand. That's, I mean, it was crazy. I had like a good job, but it's that thing where you go, the good is the enemy of the best. How much to not live your life? How much to not follow your dreams? How much do I have to give you across the table? Now, I'm saying this to you now, right? You're, you're a wealthy man, you're an investor or whatever, so it's going to be a high figure. But for most people in their mid-20s, they've just left college, or early 20s, they've left college, and you go, they give you 35 grand to compromise on everything and always be tired and just work to my time. And people go, okay. That's the, the thing about working for someone else is I think that that's the big shift, right? So the, the my stand up is a metaphor in the book. I'm not trying to get people to become stand ups. Frankly, I don't need the fucking competition. <laughs> but the idea of going, going and doing your thing, even if it's less successful, but doing your thing, being your boss, being your CEO, great. But I'm all about that. When people tell me they've started a little business or done a little thing, you just go, yeah, fucking boss. I didn't leave my job to. Now, I love that clip because, and I'm not encouraging you all to become your own boss, but I made that mistake when I left university. I went immediately into a job which would pay me a lot of money, uh, but would fundam fundamentally make me unhappy. And truth be told, it did make me really unhappy. I can tell you now that the woman I'm married to today, the child that we have together, the dog in the house, and you know, just the best life in the world, wouldn't have happened if I continued to sacrifice my life for that paycheck. So what I thought when I entered the business world, you had to be mean, you had to undercut, that I had this amazing, you know, I was going to walk in and I was going to be amazing. I thought I was going to be Leo. Uh, I thought money mattered more than anything else. I thought nice guys finished last. But what everyone else saw when I entered the world of work was this little puppy dog just someone who was there to learn while you learn a load on your university degree when you step out into the real world people are there and um, wanting to help you learn people want you to gain experience with them there isn't an expectation for you to know everything the expectation is that you continue your, your learning the expectation is you continue to get better in a real world scenario so all of a sudden this thought about nice guys finish last actually you know what people want to work with nice guys it's really, really important. So if I was going to give three pieces of advice for this guy, and, and what I really mean is for you, but you know, I think it's important to frame it for me because not all of you will be like me. The first will be to ditch the ego. Like it's okay to say you don't know something. It's okay to sort of say, you know, ask questions. Ask the stupid questions that shows you're enthusiastic. Nobody expects you to know everything when you work into your new role. So it's really, really important to ditch the ego and just go with the flow. Be really, really nice. Always look to learn and help and learn. So again, if you're entering a new role with no experience, then the best thing you can do is ask questions. How can I help? What can I do to get better? Where can I learn? 
and I'll, I'll give you some resources a little bit later. And then finally, just please be kind. And I know that sounds mental, like in the context of something like The Apprentice, but actually in the real world, then kindness in business goes so, so far. Like my business basically exists off the back of kindness. My business exists because we decided to make a decision to come together, to look after each other, to be better together than we will be alone. And all of a sudden I'm speaking with the world's most incredible marketers. I was speaking with the head of marketing for the Olympic Games the other day. And it was just a mad experience, but it was all brought about by being kind to people and bringing people together. You can get ahead in business by being kind. And where will that lead you? Well, you've got a couple of options when you step out into the real world. Um, the first is you can you can do agency or in-house, and then you've got options in generalist or specialist roles. In an agency, uh, this is where you're uh, a situation where a business says to someone else, we will do your marketing for you. Uh, so, for example, the agency that I used to work for, we used to do PPC, which is Google advertising. And we used to do that for big retailers. In the agency environment, you work with lots and lots of clients. So the Calvin Kleins, the Karl Lagerfelds, et cetera. Uh, so we had lots of clients. Uh, so you get exposed to lots of their different environments. Uh, you're likely to be working in a process-based environment because you're likely to be doing a specific task for a bunch of different people because that's the agency model. You're probably going to be on project-based work or, or contract-based work, which means to say that uh, clients come and go in agencies. It's quite common for uh, a client, I don't think this is a good thing, but it's a, quite a common thing for a client to sort of arrive uh, six months ago and then leave within that time period as well. Uh, it can work a little bit like that. It's not ideal. Uh, it's much more better. And it definitely happens where people stay for years and years. But it can be more project-based work. And you're probably going to learn specific methodology. So again, at my time at Genie Goals, we had a specific way of doing things. Um, and throughout the duration of this time, then, um, you know, we did things those ways. If you work in-house, you're more likely to work or you are going to be working for one company. Uh, you get in-depth exposure to one environment and you get the chance to truly develop one brand. However, you get limited exposures to anything else in terms of other environments. Um, neither are better. Both are just options. I didn't really know what an agency was when I left university and I didn't really know what an in-house was. Uh, but once you know, then you can start making some decisions. Likewise, as a marketer, then you've probably got a couple of options, really. You've got to either be a generalist or a specialist. So as a generalist in the company, you're probably more likely to be working in a smaller company because you're expected to do more things, like I was both at Genie Goals and Business of Software. You've probably got a, a steeper learning curve because you're expected to know a little about, about a lot. Uh, you're probably having more responsibility, but there's less clear of a career path. So when I was at Business of Software, there was nowhere else for me to really go. However, if you become a specialist, then there's really sort of clear sort of like route of progression. So like you go in the example of a PPC person, you start off as a PPC executive, you become like a PPC manager, you become a senior manager, then you become a uh, account manager, then you become a director and, and, and so on and so forth. There's a fairly clear path but you're more likely to be doing one thing um, or, or one sort of part of the marketing mix, which gives you the opportunity to become a real expert in it. Um, this is both good and bad. You get a, an amazing set of knowledge about a specific thing, but the downside is that you, um, you, you know, you're putting your eggs in a certain basket, so to speak. So just be aware of that as you're going in. I, I really don't think there is a right thing or a wrong thing. I think there is just 
a thing that you choose to do, the thing that suits you best. So really the best path is it depends, it's your choice, as long as you're aware that the different options exist out there. We're coming towards the end, so my last two, and this is a quick one about learning. So just this is a point of encouragement, never stop learning. Or if you're not really into the learning thing right now, make sure you start. It's incredible how my sort of attitude to learning has changed incredibly over these past few years. When I was at university, I spent like most of my time playing football or playing FIFA uh, or hungover. And then, you know, I'd submit work at nine o'clock on the day that it's due, really stressed, substandard, et cetera, et cetera. I've just undertaken my mini MBA and all of a sudden, like my, my work is done three days in advance. I've, I've read it over twice. I've, I've done two versions of it. Your attitude to learning, if you're doing it right, will change as you get older, but you can actually start to cultivate that attitude now. Learning is really, really cool, <laughs> as silly as it sounds. And there's so much out there as well. Your, actual, your hardest thing actually for today will be uh, deciding what content is worth listening to. It's not so much finding that content, it's finding the stuff that is good. And that's why university is brilliant as well, because you have this opportunity where you're placed in an environment where all of a sudden you've got to evaluate information and say, that's good information, that's bad information. There is good and bad information out there. So take the time to cultivate an attitude of, is this good, is this bad? Question everything. There's bunches of opportunities, as I say, whether it be podcasts, books, talks, or events. These are some of my favorites. I'll share the slides afterwards and I'd encourage you to go through and just Google every one of them. Some of them are books, some of them are resources, some of them are just opportunities to uh, get up uh, an idea on, on sort of wider things. Every one of them you will learn from. Every one of them will make you a better marketer. Take the time to invest in yourself and your learning and you'll become better at what you do. It's not mental. And then finally, uh, getting yourself out there. Personal brand is super important these days. And to give an example, then I recently hired my first person, Elle, who is stood at the front there on the left-hand side. Uh, when we put our, Elle is our new sort of operations person. Um, we hired her not on the basis of what she's done. In fact, I really don't know where she's worked before or even, um, you know, a series of, of, of competencies. We hired her because my co-founder there, James, at the front on the right-hand side said, you know what? Elle is a really great person. I think she'll be great for this business. Which means to say is both what you do, uh, both what you know, but also who you know. You know, the old sort of phrase about us is who you know. You know, it's not everything, but it is important. So you need to start cultivating your network as soon as possible because all of a sudden you're going to be thrown into a world where you're going to be doing applications where you're going to be a person in a list of 5,000 who are applying for like 10 jobs. If you can be in a place where you know a specific person who knows lots of people or the people who work at the brands that you want to work at, then all of a sudden you're at this unfair advantage because your proactivity has put you in that place. For me, the best opportunity to start putting yourself out there is on LinkedIn. Um, and that really, you know, I, I really can't emphasize this enough. I just think it's super, super um, important. And I think it's something that right now with LinkedIn being the way that it is, it's giving you an opportunity to build your brand, build yourself, um, 
well in advance of you graduating, but in a way that is really meaningful for your career development. Um, this loops into a concept called personal branding. I'm not going to go into it too far right now, but the general idea behind it is that a, a human being can be as representative of a company as the branding or the slogans associated with that company. Uh, Elon Musk is one example, but then you look at people like Stephen Bartlett, who uh, opened and ran Social Chain, a company that is now floated on the stock exchange. And, and Stephen Bartlett is a is one of the, is the newest dragon in Dragon's Den. Every one of those things have been built off the back of his personal brand. It's all really important. And even for people who are like more normal, like me, you know, like I think I've got like twenty six thousand followers on on LinkedIn. It's not a lot. But this year, I've generated over three million views on my content based on uh, based on that relatively small amount of people who are following me, which means to say that if you actually start uh, putting stuff out there and start using the platform today, then you've got this opportunity to build an incredible momentum by the time you're looking for your first or second job. And this is really important as well, because, you know, when we speak about personal brand, then it's becoming this integral part of how we choose to do business. Here we've got the example of Patagonia, who are an incredible company, um, but people are more and more choosing to resonate with other people rather than brand logos. Here, Patagonia posted on their social media channels. Uh, they have well over half a million followers. They've only got like 403 likes on it, which as a proportion of their audience is pretty tiny which means to say that people are choosing to resonate with people rather than brands more and more. To give evidence to this, then I just did a small experiment where I posted from my personal channel and then a company channel. And you can see here that over 300% uh, difference between uh, the results in company and personal channels and also over a 600% uh, increase on, on, on uh, engagements on, on the same social media post, which means to say that all of a sudden, people are just operating in a way where they value other people more than they do company names. And you have the opportunity to take advantage of that. So how do you do it? I'm not gonna go into this. The idea is of these following slides that I provide you them afterwards rather than speaking through them all uh, because they're a little bit more detailed, they're a little bit more wordy than the rest of the presentation. But the first, three, the first thing I'll be doing is asking yourself the question, what do I want to be known for? Do I want to be known for uh, really liking dogs, uh, being good at marketing and being the community guy? That would probably be something that is near representative of me. Under this, uh, under these top topics, then you start building out subtopics. So for me, I have a Labradoodle. Uh, I think dogs are better, better than cats. I can speak about training and I can speak about equipment. So these are my subtopics. And then uh, I, I've got a, a series of narratives uh, that is representative of each of these uh, subtopics. So, for example, dogs are better than cats. I can find stories on that. I can speak about that, etc. This has a twofold advantage that when you're looking to build your personal brand, you turn up consistently. You turn up in the shape that people expect you to. And you turn up speaking about things that you know you can speak about on the regular. The second is that um, people start recognizing that. And they say, you know what, you know, this is really, really important. And, you know, I'm going to go to this person for that. Um, you know, this this is just, it's a basic thing. But if you don't have this, then you'll, you'll start speaking about all sorts of different things. 
The third benefit to this is that there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing worse than an empty sheet of paper, which means to say that when you're sitting at your laptop all of a sudden and someone tells you to post on LinkedIn, that's when your mind goes blank. If you develop these content pillars, then all of a sudden you've got this opportunity to uh, know what you're speaking about and seek out other news reports um, about that sort of stuff or just share an opinion based on, on what your content pillars are. Secondly, storytelling. Uh, I'm not going to go into this at all because it's a, a topic well covered. Um, what I'd recommend you to do is go on the marketing meetup. And about three weeks ago, there was a talk by a guy called Mike Blake Crawford. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, the, the whole video is about an hour, but his talk itself is about 20 minutes long. And Mike is uh, speaks through storytelling via social media. I think it's phenomenal. It will tell you everything you need to know about telling stories on social media far better than I do. Uh, if I was to recommend a second resource, there is another talk in the marketing meetup by a guy called Jeremy Connell Waite. Uh, he blows my mind. He's the brain the size of planet Earth. Um, and he will tell you all about uh, the structure of storytelling. Again, really, really important on social media. Um, again, here's a list of some specific tips. Uh, so don't worry about using the share function on LinkedIn. It really doesn't matter. Momentum gets behind you. So don't get discouraged if you start getting like one like on your first stuff. It's really important that you just start getting that muscle flexing, you know, that you start, start posting. Then by the time you sort of three, four years into it, you've got an audience that's ready made and you, you, you're really like, you're really flying. And at this stage of your career, if you're flying at that point, that's dangerous. And that's great in a really, really good way. Um, other random things, uh, don't include links, uh, do tag people, but not too many and use hashtags, but I don't really know what the real value of those is. It's really important at this stage to sort of avoid, uh, sort of speaking about, uh, we speak as I, which means to say use personal pronouns, uh, break down your short into short digestible paragraphs and you can read the rest. You'll have the slides afterwards. Just basically as a point, get on LinkedIn. It's really, really important. So uh, today I have presented you with uh, five things that felt really important as I started my career in marketing. I hope it's been useful. Uh, my name is Joe Glover. Um, I run a company called The Marketer Meetup and just a reminder to be kind. Uh, thank you very much.